Uh, we're going to have a communion meditation today. Dan Johnson is home from New York, and we're glad to have him come to the podium and uh, uh, lead us in a communion meditation. Um, would you sing this little chorus with me? And then be seated as Dan shares with us. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as Uh, Well, good morning. It is a pleasure to be with you uh, back from New York City. Uh, It's it's always good to come home. And uh, as as I get to share just a little bit with you today, um, we we come today uh, on a special day where we as a culture, as a city, as a nation, celebrate our special relationship we have with our fathers. And I don't know about you or your family, uh, but for us, what we normally do is we normally have a Father's Day lunch or a Father's Day dinner kind of thing. And it's always everybody in the family gets together and around a meal. And, you know, it's one of those special moments that comes throughout a year where you get to share with your family that and even just to reflect a little bit on uh, that special relationship and the special moments that have gone by in years past. Right. For me, it's those moments where you get to go, you know, remembering about going and playing out in the yard, throwing a football or playing catch. You know, you think about your father, you think about the love, the embrace, the strength that you feel from that relationship. And as we come to communion today, uh, we get to also think about the special relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. Uh, as Dusty uh, read earlier from John 3.16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I think, you know, as we uh, come to communion, remembering how much our Heavenly Father has loved us, I just want to encourage you to take some time uh, this morning and just reflect as well on what God has done for you and in your life. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that in the midst of everything, in the midst of life, that you're always there. That you're always there to listen. That you're always there to care. That you're always there to hear our broken hearts. And God, we just uh, ask you today to uh, help us to just love you back the way you have loved us. God, thank you for what Jesus did for each and every one of us on the cross. For taking away our sin and washing us new. God, we thank you and we just are amazed that you wanted this special relationship with us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's text is one of those passages of Scripture that you just feel the emotion that it is present in the lives of those who are a part of the story. 
And, and it's such a broad range of emotions. First, there is the depths of despair. And then after that, like a roller coaster, the emotions go from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. The text is Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. You might want to turn there as we look at that passage here in just a few moments. I find it interesting that only Luke, the physician, records for us this story. Matthew and Mark and John leave this story out of their writing. I'm so glad that Luke included it in his writing. The story takes place in the city of Nain. It was just a small town about 25 miles southwest of Capernaum. It was located right in the heart of Galilee. Now, if you remember from last week's sermon, and and you know we're going through a chronological series of the life of Christ, and last week Jesus was in Capernaum, uh, or close to it anyway, and he healed the centurion's slave of his illness. He just spoke the word from a distance, and the young boy was healed. And we are just a day or two After that miracle, a crowd is following Jesus, anticipating what he is going to do next. And I'm sure the spirit of the crowd is celebrative. They are happy. They are in awe of their leader, Jesus. As they come to this little town of Nain, which, by the way, means pleasant or delightful, they meet up with a crowd coming out of the city gate that was everything but pleasant and delightful. It was a funeral procession coming out of the city, led by the mother whose only child has just died. It it turns out that she was all too familiar with death because she's already lost her husband to death, and now she has lost her only child to death, a son. Unless you have been there yourself and experienced these kinds of losses, you can only imagine the hurt that she was feeling and the despair and the grief that she had in her heart. Now she's all alone. And in those days, a woman was very dependent upon the males in her life for her provision. First, she would have been dependent upon her husband, but he has died. And so after his death, she would have turned to her son. She would have been dependent upon her son to provide support for her. And now he has died too. And so not only is she dealing with the grief and the loss of her son's death and her husband's death, but somewhere in the back of her mind, you know, she is wondering, she is worrying about how she's going to get along. How is she going to live? How is she going to put food on the table? How is she going to take care of herself? There was no social security system. There was no life insurance policy that she could look to. There was no 401k that she could fall back on. She was on her own, and the burden that she must have been feeling was so heavy. And that leads me to my first point. Sometimes life just seems to cave in on us. Let me read to you from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. 
Soon afterwards, he went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large crowd. Now, as he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. I want to tell you about this sizable crowd that was a part of the funeral procession. It's very likely that most of the people who lived in Nain was a part of this group. I was reading this last week of some of the customs uh, that existed in the first century when a person died. The common person, uh, when, when, when a loved one was lost, there was no embalming the body. And so usually the burial took place the very day of the death. They would take the dead body, they would put it on a stretcher that was made of wicker with pole extensions, and they would carry the body around the town, down one street and then down another street. And and as they went by where people lived, the people who lived there would join in with the procession and just follow the procession through the town and out the city gate into the cemetery. And each of them would take turns carrying the body. This was one way that they could give honor to the deceased. The deceased body would be wrapped in a linen cloth and and there would be oil that would be used to anoint the body and perfumes and spices. And oftentimes, too, there would be paid mourners who would weep and wail loudly as the procession made their way through the town. There would be flute players. And there would be people who, as they're in this procession, they would get more and more worked up. One of the sources that I read suggested that this this grief that was being expressed was not always a a direct response of of the grief that a person would have, but it was more of a funeral ritual. Amongst the Jewish people, here's a quote that I thought was interesting. In ancient Israel, groups of paid mourners emerged who would wail on ritual cue. Much of the funeral service centered on these professional mourners who sang psalms and and delivered elaborate eulogies for the dead. The emphasis upon mourning resulted from the Hebrew appreciation of human life and health, which was considered one of God's greatest gifts, unquote. And you may remember this in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus went into the house of Jairus, and he's, he's getting ready to raise Jairus's daughter from the dead. The text says that he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. These were the professional mourners that were present. And Jesus said to them, why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child has not died, but is asleep. Do you remember their response to Jesus? They began laughing at Jesus. Then the text says that he put them out of the house. The reason that they could go from from loud weeping and wailing to laughing is they were professional mourners. It was all just a put-on for them. This was very common in the first century. So here in the city of Nain, the crowd that was with Jesus meets up with the crowd that is a part of this funeral procession. But one thing is for sure. This widowed mother is not 
putting on with her grief. Her heart is stricken over her son who has just died. And it's a very sad and sobering situation. She feels despair. She feels hopeless. She feels an indescribable pain inside of her heart. My point is, sometimes life just seems to cave in on us. And most of us have been there at one point or another. Some of you are in that situation right now where life has dealt you a very bad blow and it's almost more than what you can bear. Maybe it's because you have lost someone in death whom you love. Maybe it's because of a broken relationship that you have had. Maybe you feel very alone in this life and your world has come crashing in on you. If you're not feeling that way now, you've felt that way before. I want you to see from this story that Jesus cares about you in the midst of your hurt. And that's the second point of my sermon. We serve a Lord who is moved By our needs. Let me read to you verse 13 of Luke chapter 7. When the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. Now, just the point that he saw her is encouraging to me. He did not overlook her. He wasn't so busy with the crowd that was with him that he failed to see her. And I think we have reason to be encouraged over this, that Jesus sees us too in the midst of our hurts. He's not so busy with the rest of the world that he doesn't see our hurts and our cries. If he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, then he knows about you and he knows about me and our hurts. One night this last week, I was out running on the road where I live, and I noticed at one point as my foot was about to hit the pavement, I stepped on a worm that was inching its way across the road. It squished under my foot. And as that happened, the thought came to my mind, and maybe it was because of the sermon prep that I had already been involved in for the week But the thought came to my mind, God knows that worm just came to a squishy end. And he didn't miss that. And if God knows when the life of a worm ends, then certainly he knows when our hearts are aching. He sees every tear that we cry. The psalmist says that he he keeps our tears in a bottle and they are numbered in his book. That's Psalms 56 verse 8. But I have better news for you than even that. It's not just that he knows about our hurts. It's not just that he sees our tears and he has them counted. It's the fact that he cares. He's moved to action. Did you see there in verse 13, Jesus felt compassion for this woman. The word is splankna in the Greek. It means the inner parts of, of the body. In other words, Jesus saw this woman, he sensed her need, and he felt for her right here in the pit of his stomach. 
He empathized with her. He didn't just look at her and then look away. He didn't look at her and say, oh, so sad, and then go on with his busy schedule. No, he saw her in her despair, and he felt for her, and he was moved to action. The word compassion is used more than any other word in the New Testament to describe the person of Jesus. If you read the other assigned text for today, you saw several passages where it says that Jesus had compassion on somebody who was in need. Matthew chapter 14, he had compassion upon the multitude that was hungry. In Matthew chapter 20, he had compassion on two blind men. And in every instance where you you see that Jesus had compassion on someone, he was always moved to action. In the case of the multitude, he was compassionate upon them and he fed them. In the case of the two blind men, he was compassionate upon them and he gave them their sight. And in this instance that we're looking at, he sees a mother who is grieving over the loss of her son and he, he, he's moved to compassion. He, he goes to her and he says, do not weep. Now, if you don't read on in that passage, you would almost think that's pretty heartless of him to say to a woman who's just lost her only son. But you have to remember, and this, this is something that we need to remember throughout Scripture as we read it. We are not getting the tone of voice here of Jesus. And we are not getting the body language of Jesus in this passage of scripture. All we are getting is his words where he says to her, do not weep. But I am quite sure that his words were tender. His voice and his eyes and his touch are all sending a message to this woman that he deeply cares for her in her time of need. And he says to her, do not weep. And then he commences to give to her a reason for not weeping. And before we get to that, I just want to take the moment to challenge all of us in this area of compassion. If this is if this is the character trait that most describes Jesus in the Gospels of his life here on this earth, then shouldn't we too be striving for compassion in our life towards people? Or deeply care for them in their time of need. And understand that it's more than just feeling sorry for people. It's love backed up by action. It's doing something to reach out to them in their time of need. It's showing them, not just telling them that you love them. It's food brought by. It's a hug given. It's money shared. It's putting on your gloves and helping somebody. It's taking time to go and be with a person as you see that they are in need. It's being the hands and feet of Jesus to, to people who are out there in the world that are hurting. When their world comes crashing down and everything in their world seems to be topsy-turvy, you are one who is there to try and give them some help and, and some love and some stability. You're saying, I care about you, but it's more than words. It's your actions. 
And dads, let me speak specifically to you about this, because I think oftentimes women are more inclined to be the compassionate one than what we are. You know, we we feel like we need to be the macho one. We need to be the one who's tough, and we we can't get sidetracked with, with being soft and being sensitive. And if that's what we think, then I, I can't help but think that the world has deceived us and sold us a bill of goods with that kind of thinking. If compassion was the primary trait of Jesus, then shouldn't it be compassion that we are striving to have in our heart as well. Compassion is not just a trait for women. It's a trait for every one of us to chase after. If it was good for Jesus, it should be good for us. Sad to say, sometimes we're just too busy with our schedule to help people who are hurting. And maybe, and this is something between you and God that you have to figure out and take a good hard look at. If you are too busy to help people, then maybe you're too busy. Jesus took the time to show compassion to this grieving woman. That leads me to my next point. Jesus had power even over death. He told her not to weep, and then he gave to her a good reason not to weep. Let me read to you verses 14 and 15. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I don't even know if Jesus knew who, or if this woman knew who Jesus was. You know, the, the text doesn't tell us that she had seen him before. She'd probably heard about him, but I don't know if he, she'd ever seen his face, if they'd ever crossed paths. And so she may not have even known who Jesus was. But one thing we can be sure of, she would never forget him after this day because he gave her son back to her. And by the way, there is a big difference in this miracle and the miracle that we looked at last week. Last week, we saw the Roman centurion who had approached Jesus asking Jesus to heal his slave who was sick and about to die. He was on his deathbed. You remember that? And, and Jesus sees such great faith in this centurion. It, it, you remember, it was actually a delegation that the centurion sent to Jesus in his behalf. And they're saying, would you heal the centurion's slave who's about to die? And so Jesus begins to go with them towards Capernaum. And as they get closer to the house, the centurion finds out they're they're coming. And so he sends another delegation. And, And this time the delegation says to Jesus, you don't even have to come to the house. You just speak the word. And I know that my servant will be healed. You talk about great faith. And Jesus commended him for that. He said, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel as what I've seen in this man. 
But this woman in Luke chapter 7, we don't see any faith in her at all. She is so caught up in her grief, that's all she can think of is the fact that she has lost her son. And that's understandable to us. She, she may not have even known who Jesus was, and yet Jesus gave to her a miracle too. My point is, you can't put God and Jesus into a box and predict what they're going to do when it comes to miracles. The thing that you can predict, though, for sure, without a doubt, absolutely sure of this, that when you are amidst a crisis situation, Jesus will be with you and he will get you through. He may not give to you the miracle that you're asking for, but you can be confident he will get you through your crisis if you hang on to him. In this instance... He gave this grieving mother the gift of life. He raised her son from the dead. The text says that he came up and he touched the coffin and the coffin bearers came to a halt. Can you, can you picture this in your mind? You, you joined the procession, this funeral procession. You've been following this grieving mother who is followed by paid mourners who who also is followed by the casket itself being carried by pallbearers and you've come outside of the city gate and here comes another crowd facing you and the leader of that crowd walks up to the grieving mother and says something to her that's when he says do not weep and then he walks over and he puts his hand on the casket And the pallbearers stop. And they're not really knowing what to do. And Jesus says, young man, I say to you, arise. And all of a sudden, the dead man on the wicker stretcher sits up straight. And starts talking. Can you picture it? You know, the guy's lucky the pallbearers didn't drop him. (laughs) Could you picture that happening too? The next verse says that they were scared. They were shocked. How'd you break your arm? Well, I was dead and Jesus raised me from the dead. And and then the pallbearers dropped me. (laughs) That's how I broke my arm. I mean, everybody was in shock. This is the first instance of Jesus raising someone from the dead. There would be three more resurrections in his ministry. I've already mentioned to you the second one, which is the the daughter of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Do you remember the other two resurrections in Jesus' ministry? Lazarus, I hear, John chapter 11, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and there would be one more resurrection, his own. Four times in the ministry of Jesus, we see the dead being raised up to live again. He has power over the grave. And that's good news for us. It's good news. 
for the Wilson family as they lost their loved one, Kevin, this last week. It's good news for many of you as even over the last year, a number of you in our congregation have lost loved ones. It's good news to know that Jesus has power over the grave. Death is not strong enough to keep us in its grasp. He is stronger. And there is life beyond the grave. There, there is that promise of a reunion someday through Jesus. And what a blessed day that's going to be. I can't help but think Satan shuddered as Jesus raised this young man from the grave. You, you do understand, as the Scripture teaches us, that Satan's most powerful weapon was death. It's a weapon that no one had been able to conquer. And all of a sudden, Jesus shatters Satan's most potent weapon. And it's a foreshadowing of what is to come. There will come a day not too far off in the distance when Jesus himself will overcome the grave, never to die again. And Satan's power would be completely overcome. You see, we've seen people raised from the dead before in the Old Testament. We've seen the prophets speak and people come back to life. But always before those people would die again. There'd never been anyone completely conquer the grave. But here, Jesus foreshadows. In other words, it's a prediction. It's, it's, a, it's a type. It's a likening of what's going to happen not too far off in the distance. Jesus is going to conquer the grave himself completely. He will never die again. And Satan must have just shuddered all the way through his body. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. We see from this story, Jesus' power is greater than Satan's power. And right there in the little city of Nain, That truth is evidenced. Let me give to you one final point. Jesus is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. I want to read to you verse 16. Fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. These people were shook over this. Obviously, they'd never seen anything like this before. Now, they had heard about such things happening. In fact, this was quite interesting to me. You can read about this for yourself if you want in 2 Kings chapter 4. The prophet Elisha had raised a widow's son in the town of Shunem, which according to Mark Moore, was just over the hillside from the city of Nain, except it was nine centuries earlier that Elisha had done that. But, you know, those kinds of stories don't die. 
They are passed on from generation to generation about the great prophet Elisha when he raised the widow's son to live again. They had heard of such stories and they had read it in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, If not themselves, they had heard their their synagogue leader teach on it and read that passage and, and preach to them about the time that Elisha had raised the widow's son in Shunem from the dead. And now all of a sudden it happens in their midst. And what did they say? A great prophet has arisen among us. I can't help but think they're, they're, they're relating it back to the story of Elisha. They're comparing Jesus to the prophet Elisha. A great prophet has arisen among us. But then they didn't stop there. They said this, God has visited his people. And indeed he had. He was more than a prophet. He was God in the flesh. And he was standing in their midst. And they were gripped with fear. But they were also giving praise to God. Jesus is worthy of our praise. If he can raise the dead, then he can do anything he wants. And he is Lord of all. The question we need to consider is, is he your Lord? You know, that's the question as we come to the invitation time. Is he your Lord? Have you surrendered to him? Are you giving him the praise that he deserves? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he's compassionate. Thank you that he has power over the grave. And it gives us hope today, Lord. Whether we have lost a loved one recently, we know that death, it comes knocking on everybody's door at some point, and it snatches away somebody that we love, and yet we can have hope amidst the grief. We can be comforted amidst the grief because we know there is life beyond the grave. Lord, if there's any here today that don't have Jesus as Lord, move in their hearts, please. It's in his most powerful name that we pray. Amen.